you got Audacity running? Always. Always, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, oh, I record everything all the time now. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's one big storage bucket. Yeah. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 19. GCP Life is a podcast where we discuss Google Cloud and tech. I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. And on today's show, ARM on Google Cloud, CloudDB gets some new features, Google gets a bit flexy, plus has Azure really overtaken AWS? But before we get to any of that... I want to introduce the co-host of the show, Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? I'm doing great. Thanks, Banky. I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you back in the chair. Back in the chair, yes. <laughs> back among the living and yes. civilization. Oh, boy, I tell you, what a trip coming back. Um, after I spoke to you uh, a few days later, well, I was about, after the concert, after about a week later, driving back and uh, we were coming down a dirt road and a big 79 series was coming the opposite direction, kicked up a whole bunch of stones and rocks and smashed our front windscreen. Oh, no. Yeah, so big golf ball-sized stone hit the bottom of the front windscreen, big star fracture all over the front of the, where the passenger is, um, not in front of the driver, and the windscreen was still kind of in one piece, so we were able to continue. And then about an hour after that, hit an emu. Mm. So uh, it was a it was it was a fun day. <laughs> yeah, right. How far would you have been from home about that point? Uh, about three days drive. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we we oh, were still no. uh, we were we were north of Kanamala. Um, we're about three hours of uh, four hours north of Kanamala still, and we're still driving towards Kanamala. And um, yeah, we were a long way from nowhere. And uh, yeah. you had the windscreen completely smashed. It would have been. We have to drive down a dirt road for about three hours to get somewhere before we can even think about getting a screen. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So, a, wrap some Glad Wrap uh, over it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Glad Wrap and gaffer tape. You saw I had that big roll of gaffer tape on my desk earlier. That's yeah. kind of what you would use it for. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, no no harm, no foul. The Emu didn't do any damage. You know, that's, that's the fourth time I've driven out that way in that vehicle and that's really the first time I smashed a window and the first time I've had an animal strike so uh, it's just a numbers game at the end of the day well I'm glad you got home safe and sound yep just to wallet lighter a little bit back home to the rain too here in Sydney I tell you what I won't stop um yeah speaking of weather they've been having some in the UK just a bit it's uh you know what was it 22 degrees, it gets a bit too hot for them. <laughs> <laughs> They've had enough weather to melt a data center, apparently. Um, I'll link to an article on the version. Look, there's articles everywhere on this, but um, Google Cloud and Oracle servers located in the UK struggled with cooling-related outages Tuesday as the country experienced record-breaking heat that reached as high as 140 degrees Celsius. Both companies blame temperature for the unexpected shutdowns. You don't think? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, facilities in the UK just aren't built to be able to handle that level of heat load. No, it'd be like snowing in Sydney, right? I think the whole place just shuts down. Um, well, it's been a been a rough uh, rough day for outages then. Yeah, so 
losing a zone in the UK. I understand that Teams is down worldwide right now. Teams is down as well, William. Really? Yeah. Let's see what's going on with yeah. Teams. Now, I heard from my partner. She's like, oh, is, is there something wrong with the internet? I'm like, oh, no, it's it's fine. And then, yeah, check it out. Not, not Teams has gone everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean to actually start Teams. Oh, no, what's it going to do? <laughs> Close it. <laughs> quick, quick. <laughs> Free and click on the Teams icon. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, speaking of Teams as well and Microsoft, do you hear that Microsoft has just beat AWS in terms of uh, market share? I am I'm amazed. <laughs> yeah. so Because um, there was a big gap. There was a big gap, and we've been following this fairly closely, but um, this is a, from a research firm called IDC. Uh, the research firm reported that Microsoft accumulated 14.4% of the market's Four hundred eight point six billion in revenues last year, just a whisker ahead of the thirteen point seven that AWS snared. Hmm. So, in terms of market share, market revenues, Azure is ahead, um, and then Salesforce, Google, and SAP rounded out the top five in IDC's ranking, with those vendors capturing forty percent of the total market. And overall, market revenues increased 29%. Okay, so this seems to be a, a different sort of market, though, right? Because Salesforce and SAP, are, like, yeah, they have, they're obviously SaaS players, but they don't have public cloud services. Yeah, I'm a bit confused why they've included them in this as well, because the article does say, um, including infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, uh, system infrastructure SAS and application SAS. Mm, okay, right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I suppose they're lumping Salesforce in with that and the SAP mm. in with that sort of, um, you know, grouping there. Well, well done, Microsoft. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, okay. All right. So now, now I'm thinking on this. Like, okay, well, why would theirs jump so much higher if it's including SAS revenues? Office 365 would be a big chunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree, agree. Yeah, that's probably what it is. That's probably when they've been quite aggressive um, mm. trying to get people onto that, of course. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, we won't linger on that too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I forgot to ask you, Dave. What have you been up to? Um, I mean, in comparison to you, uh, it's been uh, pretty pedestrian around here. No, mm. no great drives. The car's been in the driveway. Um, I'm just getting ready to get a uh, some concrete laid out on the weekend. So, getting all things prepared for that for my veranda. It's- nice, nice. Yeah. So, um, looking forward to uh, looking forward to that. Have a new spot for the barbecue. Yeah, a bit of home maintenance is always good. Yeah, especially with the warmer weather comes around finally. Yep, yep. Anyway, I thought we'd get on with the show. Um, story that was everywhere in the last, actually been three weeks, so I had a lot of stories to, to sort of digest, because we did record that last week's show a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, story getting around everywhere is ARM on Google Cloud. This is really cool. Um, and I, I think that's... I think it's uh, it's it's been a while coming. Mm. Um, yeah, AWS has had the graviton gravitron chips for a while, so it's awesome to see this in GCP. 
It is, yeah. Google Cloud has announced its first line of ARM-based virtual machines. I'm reading from an article on TechRadar, which I'll link in the show notes. The new Tau TUA chips will join Google's existing line of Tau VMs. Now, I know we talked about Tau before, but I, I just completely forgot. The existing line of Tau VMs aren't ARM? No, I think they are AMD Epic. AMD Epic, right. On the Milan CPUs. Right, which were launched in June 2021. Google says the new chips will be appropriate for scale-out workloads, including web servers, containerized microservices, data logging, media transcoding, and Java applications. So everything, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything that's got an, you know, an ARM binary. So, yeah, which is know, the entire Linux yeah. distributions. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, oh, I need uh, a whole bunch of uh, you know, Nginx servers behind a load balancer. Great. Go save, like, I don't know, 30% of your costs to run them on ARM. And that's the thing, isn't it? The the hourly cost is a, is a lot less. So they give an example here. A 32V CPU with 128 gig of RAM will be priced at a buck two three two per hour. That'd be US... Uh, for on-demand usage in US Central One. Price performance optimized for cloud-native applications. Um, yeah. So you, yeah, you, and you're saving the planet as well because you use less power. Definitely one of those things that, like, if you are, as I said, if you, you're using a Linux distribution that's got an ARM version, um, you're using any of the really common um, kind of appliances, it's probably an ARM version for you. Well, anything that runs on a Raspberry Pi, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Canonical has joined forces with um, Google, and they've made a the latest distributions of Ubuntu twenty two oh four and twenty two ten will support ARM and will be fully supported on Google Cloud. Awesome. Yeah, very awesome. Mm. So uh, I'll definitely be checking that out. I mean, for for simple things. Um, even for not so simple things, this is going to be the way to go. There's Definitely. no doubt this yep. is going to be the way to go. Cheaper, now, more powerful, less power. Yep. Right now, which regions are they available in? I don't think they were in Australia yet. No, not yet. I um, think I saw Singapore. The right, right, where can I sign up? The T2 AVMs are currently only available for preview in a select few Google Cloud regions, including Iowa, Netherlands, and Singapore. But they will enter general availability in the coming months, according to Google. Brilliant. Be moving my. I got a, got a few things in my personal um, personal um, you know uh, projects. I'll probably be, move, be moving them over. Yeah, for sure. Workloads that can go in there. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll let you let you know how that goes. But um, came across another article um, about a couple of data articles here, and this one really piqued my interest about cloud spanner. Now I'm not a data engineer at all, but. Um, Cloud but spanner. you do play one on television. I play one on television. I play one on a podcast. <laughs> cloud Spanner, um, like it breaks the walls, right? It just it just breaks the rules. And it just it's always amazed me how awesome that thing is. But the downside of it was there was no sort of unified the, – the interface was non-standard. You had to have this special driver and connect to it and blah, 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 blah. But now we've got a Postgres interface for it. and So it, you can – Pretend Spanner is Postgres. Basically, oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and just, just write to it or read to it, you know, access it like it's a Postgres database. Uh, the new interface increases the portability of workloads to and from Spanner and provides a globally distributed option to, to developers already familiar with Postgres. 
Simple as that. You just just hook up to it like a Postgres data source. Um, and then you pay through the nose for it. But no. <laughs> but, but um, you know, people want this. People want highly consistent, global, uh, highly redundant databases. I'm um, going to connect a little Django web server to a Cloud Spanner back end. <laughs> Run your WordPress website off it, for yeah, sure. <laughs> well, the syntax supported is similar to standard Postgres. There are some caveats here, right? So while the syntax supported is standard, it's a similar, proce- similar to standard process. Workloads relying on stored procedures, extensions, triggers, or non-serializable isolation require rework to run on Spanner. So I can understand why it doesn't support extensions, um, and I suppose the rest of it as well, triggers, non-serialize, and, and procedures. So if you're just treating it like a data store and stuff's just going in and out and you're not doing anything special, have at it. should yeah, work right. fine. Yeah. The schemas and queries that you write against Spanner Postgres SQL interface will run mostly without modifications in another Postgres SQL environment, either in Google Cloud or elsewhere. So they're claiming the schemas and and uh, the commands are compatible, just with a few little caveats. Um, so cool, very cool. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind trying this out for like five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to see it work. Um, hey, just in your personal account, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um. The new Postgres interface is configured configured per database at creation time. Administrators can provision and manage Postgres SQL databases by using the existing console APIs and Google Cloud CLI. But just like anything else. Okay. Uh, right. So we, we weren't just joking there about costs. Actually, can you just scroll to the bottom for a moment? Mm, but, mm, um, mm. We were joking about costs. But uh, there's a note down here that running the new granular instances... Customers can run a spanner database starting at $65 US a month or $40 a month with a three-year commitment. And there are no additional costs associated with the new Postgres SQL interface. Yeah, so that's so, like three times fast. Actually, not too bad. <laughs> not too bad, no. The new granular instances. I, I, you know, I, I ignored that before. Granular instances. What's this all about? Uh, granular instances sizing for cloud spinner now run production workloads for as low as 40 per month. Because, look, that was always my criticism of it. It was stupidly expensive. Um, okay, well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It is linked off this article that we were just reading from, which is uh, on infoq.com. But uh, if you want to find out about granular instances as well, it's all there. And another database story, and I thought we'd sort of lump them all in together. Uh, we've got... Um, Google Cloud introduces two new security features in BigQuery to help secure sensitive data. Now, this is cool. Um, Google has added column-level encryption tool and dynamic masking of information to its software-as-a-service data repository, BigQuery. Um, And the article here on uh, marketpost.com goes on to say, these features help safeguard and protect sensitive data by adding a second level of protection, a top access control. So you've got your normal access control, and then you've got this encryption thing. So the um, the column level encryption um, improves security by allowing each column to have its own encryption key. 
rather than having oh. a single key for the whole database. Right. So you might have certain parts of the data that you're more concerned about than others. Right. And I immediately thought, well, that's perfect for PII. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you might want certain parts of the business to have access to one area and other parts of the business have access to another area. Uh, the PII, you know, is only available to certain groups, whatever, whatever. Um, and also, and they put out in this article, um, administrators no longer need to develop different data sets with encrypted data and distribute these copies to the appropriate users. So test and dev, yep. you could actually use a real data set and the important, well, the PII data is encrypted, so it can't actually be read, but it's a real data set. Yeah, true. Right? Uh, and it does talk about that. The new features can help improve security, manage access control, adhere to privacy laws, and build secure test environments. Nice. Nice, the other, yeah. Mm, Very cool. The other feature is... Um, this dynamic information masking. Now, I don't completely understand this, but um, dynamic information masking gives administrators additional flexibility by allowing them to select the extent to share the data or disguise data, increasing column level security. Oh, right. It's twigged with me now. So it's a mask across the column to say, you know, these groups can access these things or these groups can access these things. It's just an extra layer. Yeah. Administrators may use these capabilities to obscure important data and manage user access while minimizing the risk of data leaks. Right. Talk about granular. Mm. Mm. Well, that's about the extent of my data knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to something that's a little uh, sort of, um, I guess, more government procedural level things. Uh, less techie. Um, Google Cloud joins AWS Azure in Gov Data Sovereignty Scheme. This is uh, on IT News Com AU. Um, Google Cloud revealed its certified strategic status overnight, making it the ninth cloud provider to be accredited at that level. Very good. Very good. Finally, got this mm-hmm. certification. So Google has become the last cloud service provider to be cleared to carry sensitive public sector data and protected level systems under federal government's hosting certification framework, HCF. Uh, I guess there were many hoops they had to jump through to get this. I imagine so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's what I found funny too. Uh, under new rules that came into force this month, agencies can only host sensitive government data, whole of government systems and systems rated to a protected level with such privileges. It was it was snuck in, apparently. The, the mandate applies to all new extensions to existing contractors for hosting services after the Digital, Transform Agent, Digital Transformation Agency quietly changed the scope of the policy. Right. So they kind of got this uh, one in just in time. Like, yeah, like, come on, guys. <laughs> Don't you think this is important? Like, you shouldn't just go quietly changing policies. <laughs> Um, Dyer said Google Cloud also maintains an IRAP certification, uh, which confirms its security controls meet the requirements prescribed by the Australian Cybersecurity Centre. So they still maintain that. Very good. Very good. So, um, yeah, HCF for Google. I imagine that might help get 
a few of our clients across the line as well in terms of security. Yeah, had thought I'd mention that one. So let's move on. Another security news. Um, in other security news, Apogee. Uh, Google Cloud announces advanced API security through Apogee. Continuing to build on the Apogee integration. Yeah, so um, they acquired Apogee in 2016, which we know about, uh, integrating the startup's cloud-based API creation and management platform into a service available for Google Cloud platform. Um, and then they added added features like monitoring, security, cloud armor, cloud IAP, um, and now we can uh, we can say um, advanced API security can make it easier for API teams to identify API proxies that do not conform to security standards. Nice to help identify APIs that are misconfigured or experiencing abuse. Advanced API security regularly assesses managed APIs and provides API teams with a recommended action when configuring issues are detected. And you get this little dashboard. Uh, I'll link in the show notes. This is on uh, infoq.com. And uh, yeah, you get a little dashboard there. You can see what we've got here. We've got number of scores, proxies, targets. Um, so it uh, specializes in detecting bots and identifying API misconfigurations. Um, when it can, when it detects a configuration issue, the service assesses managed APIs and recommends action. So it's constantly checking and then makes a recommendation for you, right? Yep. Um, and I guess this is all part of Google's big security drive, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and this will probably dovetail into like some sort of security dashboard, I'd imagine, um, and give you some sort of overall score because you can see a score here, so mm. API security scores. According to a recent cloud identity study, 44% of companies have experienced significant API authorization issues Jeez. involving privacy, data leakage, and object property exposure with internal and external facing APIs. Because this is literally what we're talking about today, right, Dave, with whitelisting, right? Yeah. If you've just got this endpoint just flapping around in the wind, right, and anything can hit it, <laughs> anything can hit it, right? If if your only level of security is like some file that just says these IPs are allowed in, all these ones aren't, I, you know, and and it's giving you a response, you can bet it's going to be compromised, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not right on top of that and you've got that all patched and and ready to go, um, this is why I think. You know what? Well, in the project we're on, Dave, that we've landed on, I think having inf- having a block at the infrastructure levels is far better. Um, yeah, rather than don't just let having it get all the way through to the you're making Apache do that for you. <laughs> yeah, or Nginx, so, you know, having them knock on the front door. No, you want to stop them. You want to stop them coming in the street, right? Yeah. You don't want them having them coming right up to the front door, and then you know you'll you've got you've got the front door open with a little <laughs> chain across it, going hello. <laughs> yeah. It's more like they've come in, they sit down at the table, go out, and actually you're not allowed to have this cup of tea. <laughs> you can come That's into right. the house. Oh, can you leave now, please? <laughs> can you leave now, please? <laughs> and then you're right. It's quite akin to that, isn't it? Um, so you know if you're if you're going to set up an API, use use Apogee and you know that everything's been patched and updated and this 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 security tool is checking that you're configured correctly and you don't have any holes or any authorization issues. Um, you know, give you the warm and fuzzies around that. 
All right, moving on. Um, Dave. Oh, yeah. You've been experimenting with some things. I have. So um, this is something actually I've been uh, kind of wanting to play play with for a while. But um, this week, uh, Google Chrome OS Flex was released out. So um, a few months back, I was working on a project with someone who used a, a Chromebook. And, um, you know, we were developing a whole bunch of stuff. We had, you know, Docker containers and stuff. And, and he was able to do everything on this Chromebook. I, I didn't realize that they were, you know, sort of so capable. I thought, like, it was just a web browser on a laptop and, you know, you had to do everything in a web. But that's, that is not the case. It's like a big phone, right? That's all yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was picturing, right? And, um, but no, so he really blew me away. And I'd had my eye out because I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll buy a Chromebook and, um, I was having a look at a few, nothing really kind of, kind of stuck out to me. And then lo and behold, this week, Chrome OS Flex is released, which is a way for you to be able to go and really revive, especially like ancient laptops and old desktop computers and stuff mm. and install Chrome OS on them. Mm. And it works really well. <laughs> so I picked up, I've got like a bunch of old, you know, like HP Elite books that are like seven, eight years old around yeah. the house. You know, they're the kids' machines. Tried firing it up with a um, just an eight gig USB key and it's just brilliant. It just kind of just works. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, you know, when I think of Chrome OS and your phone, it's a touchscreen experience. So using a mouse, does it translate? Uh, yeah, using a mouse. Like I said, I'm using an Elite Book. I can use my um, the touchpad in there. I get full everything. Webcam works, Bluetooth works, Wi-Fi. Right. Um, it's a and very it, easy experience. Right. And I think you mentioned there's a, a list of certified hardware for uh, it? Yeah, there is. So um, on the website for... Uh, for Chrome OS Flex, there's a link to all these certified devices. There's a couple of Macs in there, like there's MacBook Pros going back to like 2014. Um, as I've mentioned, the HP stuff, there's like pretty much every Elite Book and Pro Book in there, and a lot of Dell. Just there's heaps. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, can you go to the Play Store? Uh, does the Play Store exist? Yes, I think so. Right. So, because. I mean, that's all. You're on x86. Obviously, this is on x86 mm-hmm. and yep. Play Store stuff's written, you know, ARM, Snapdragon, that kind of stuff. How, how does that translate? Like, yeah, what, I'm, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to do yeah. more um, yeah. playing around with it. So um, many questions, Dave. Yeah, so no. many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, like, just before the call, I'd sort of got to the point where I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm in. Um, uh, I was getting the the Linux environment up and running to do the developer mode, so that was where my focus was. I'm like, okay, cool. I've kind of it's running and it's it's nice and fast, and uh, I like how it integrates with my phone because I use an Android phone. So I'm starting to see like some of the notifications and stuff come through, and it's like, oh, okay, this is like what the Apple people have, and they have their iPhones uh, and the Macs. I'm like, okay, uh, this is um, you're selling me on this here, and so yeah, my my next part is to get the developer environment up and running if I can get you know. VS Code and I can get Docker up and running, then I'm going to be, I'll be, I'll be set. I think that might switch over to being my daily driver. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right. Maybe I can report back in. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. But if you want to have that integration, integrated feeling, um, for anyone using Linux, using KDE, you can use this thing called KDE Connect. Actually, you don't need KDE to run it. Um, KDE Connect 
you run it on your desktop and you run it on your phone and it gives you that integrated. So messages are available on your desktop and you can message back and it's, you can control media remotely, you can access photos, all that kind of stuff with KDE Connect. So it does does do that for you. But yeah, I'd imagine nice. um, Chrome OS, yeah, that's going to just completely integrate with your, your, your entire uh, G drive and everything. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and so I'm installing it just as like, you know, the uh, individual kind of person. Um, but there is a whole enterprise version of it as well. So you can deploy it out remotely. Um, you can manage a fleet of machines. Um, I had a look at the, the pricing for the enterprise license and it was like 50 US a year per device. So um, well worth um Anyone who's worked in enterprise, you know, the, the mountain of old laptops that are sitting on, um, you know, sitting on shelves that, yep. oh, okay, I can't run Windows 11 on there, which is like that whole thing for Windows 11 has blocked a lot of machines from getting yep. upgraded. Yep. Well, it's going to run Chrome OS fine. Yeah. I'm just looking at the specs here. We're running on Intel or AMD uh, 64-bit. Uh, you need four gig of RAM, four gig of RAM. Four. <laughs> you need 16 gig of hard drive space. You can run off a thumb drive like you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, bootable from a USB. Uh, and you'll need full admin access to the BIOS. Um, so you can make, you know, obviously, adjust the boot medium there. Um, so the graphics components made before 2010 might cause poor experience. Yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, Intel GMA 500, 600, 3600, and 3650 graphics hardware do not meet Chrome OS Flex performance standards. Okay. So st- even so, even with that, there's still a lot of laptops that's going to run a lot on. of machines. Yeah. Um, besides getting uh, years more work out of your old hardware, Google claims Chrome OS Flex gives you proactive security... Right, okay. I wonder if, yeah, it's going to tie in with their whole security offering. Easy deployment and management of Chrome OS Flex. Um, fast one work experiences. Devices don't slow down. Background updates reduce device downtime down and improve productivity. So is the whole OS sort of geared with, towards the cloud experience or have you got Definitely. local storage as well? Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an online device. It's kind of, I suppose, kind of like a thin client in that regards. Like everything yeah. else is you're connecting remotely, but um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'm, I'm enjoying the time I've spent with it so far, and I'm looking forward to um, you know, installing it as my daily driver. So, yeah, well, I mean, we can do that in Casino, we've got the whole uh, Google Workspaces experience that yeah, makes that sort of thing easy. Um, all right, well, you know what, you've kind of I've got to look down there, see what I've got here for laptops. Yeah, you, you to have it, you know, a mountain of old machines. I think I've got a 2007 MacBook just sitting there. I might <laughs> it might it do it, try. yeah. It might do yep. it. All you um, need to do is you install, there's a, a Chrome OS like recovery utility. You install yep. as an extension in Chrome, download it, and off you go. Mm. Mm. I'll give it a go this afternoon. The screens on those old MacBooks are really nice, so it might look good. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, that's Chrome OS Flex. I'll put a link in the show notes. All right, and I thought we'd finish off here with a bonus item. Um, I love quantum computing stories, and I'm I'm really excited. I actually think this is one of the few uh, scientific, well, one of the few engineering things that it 
that I'm probably going to see before I'm dead. <laughs> you know, you're not really hoping on fusion, are you? <laughs> not going to see fusion, right? Um, solar and battery—they're just so incremental. Like it's so slow, just trying to get there. But quantum computing—we're nearly there. We've nearly got a plug-in quantum device that you can put into your home computer. And according to this article, it can make things run 280 times faster. Well, um, this is this is. I got a couple of articles on this, so I'll link in the show notes. But the one I got here is IT Wire. Um, nothing that many real-world applications of com- quantum computing actually require a combination of quantum and classical computing. GPU maker Nvidia has introduced Nvidia Quantum Optimized Device Architecture. That's a mouth word which it describes as an open, unified environment for today's most powerful computers and quantum processes, improving scientific productivity and enabling greater scale in quantum research. So my takeaway from this is that it's an architecture or like a, a design or, a, a, you know, a, a sort of a, a plan around interfacing classical computers with quantum Quantum systems, quantum computer. QO Decoder, they, they call it, provides a coherent hybrid quantum classical programming model. That's the word I was looking for, for today's most powerful computers and quantum processes. Uh, it provides a single model for C and Python programming, he, he said. Uh, this is quoting um, Thomas Costa, uh, who's NVIDIA's director of high performance computing and quantum computing products. Uh, and is around 280 times faster as one of the current leading frameworks when running on the same hardware. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you're going to need this, right? You're going to need some way of this framework makes it easy to just program regular C or regular Python and just run it on a quantum system. And that, that blows my mind that, that, that mm. it can be that easy to do. Um, it will speed up how they get things done without them needing to do all the low-level programming, so it makes life much easier. Uh, a beta version of Quota will be available later this year with general availability expected in 2023. So, you know, you, you've got this Australian company called Quantum Brilliance. We've mentioned them on a couple of early shows that come up occasionally, but they are literally designing and developing a product that's been built in Germany, um, and it's you know, like you can get like a two qubit or a four qubit or an eight qubit model, a room temperature quantum card that you just plug into your computer like like you would a video card. And then if you had your NVIDIA quota driver, so that's basically what it would amount to, then you could just offload compute to the quantum system. Right. This is uh, via your driver. Harking back to the days of the math coprocessor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's no, no different to a GPU, right? Yeah. That's, you, you're well, offloading. We had your physics cards for a while. Oh, physics cards, yeah. yeah. And and then and then basically the GPU just consumed that and became a physics card. You can bet that this is Nvidia's roadmap to basically have quantum graphics cards. Yeah, to be QTX cards instead of Q- RTX. Hey, there you go. Patent pending, patent pending. Bing, let's brand that now. That's us. We've got it. QTX. <laughs> GTX, RTX, QTX. Yeah. The next generation. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that uh, the lawyers would be fine with that. <laughs> now, we coined it. It's ours. <laughs> 
Um, the Just reading from another article here, quantum optimized device architecture aims to make quantum computing more accessible by creating a coherent quantum classical programming model. So it's a hybrid between the two, right? It's a hybrid. Uh, Quota is an open, which is interesting for NVIDIA, unified environment for some of today's most powerful computers and quantum processing, improving scientific productivity, enabling greater scale in quantum research. I'm actually quite excited about this. You know, like we said, we're not going to see fusion anytime soon, but this this is just on the doorstep. Right, you can see, you can, you can smell it. I can smell it. Can absolutely smell it. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, guys, we might finish up there. Um, yeah, like I said, there was a lot to pick and choose from today, but uh, I think we got through the most, the juiciest things. Don't forget to go and try out Flex. I'm definitely going to give it a go. Yeah, do it. Uh, everyone, Chrome everyone should do it. it. Yeah, <laughs> go your corporate and- laptop. I'm sure your IT department won't mind. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean the VPN doesn't work? <laughs> oh, yeah, how's the VPN clients on it? Is that all? I suppose that open VPN works. I what. Probably can use the built one you're asking me questions yeah. i haven't had a chance to oh, play okay. with that much there well check that out big ip as well see how that goes um anyway guys don't forget to go and write us a review on itunes that'll really help out the show and check out kasna between two clouds on youtube that's our sister youtube channel uh you can contact the show gcp life at kasna.com.au we've got the twitter there gcp life uh and the website just google gcp life you'll find that and of course today's sponsor is kasna kasna we make your google cloud solutions possible Oh, I think that's about it for, for us. Next week, we're going to have a special show. Uh, it's yes. going to be a deep dive into GCVE, which is uh, Google Cloud's uh, VMware on Google Cloud. Getting very excited about that. We've got a lot of work ahead of us with that one, Dave. Yeah, we do indeed. And uh, I think we'll have a special guest with us. And we will have special guests as well. So, um, yeah, that's about it for me. Anything from you, Dave? No, I just hope everyone has a great time and get flexy. Get flexing. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. Flexi. Get flexy. <laughs> you said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs>